All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, we're continuing our, our study in 1 Peter and uh, excited to build upon uh, where we've been in the text, uh, especially uh, based on our discussions last week. And, and so we'll, we'll get there in a second. Um, in, in November, I attended a Steelers game and... Um, one of the things that I, I did differently was instead of parking right next to the stadium, I parked in downtown Pittsburgh, and then uh, I walked to what is called Point State Park, which is really where, you know, if you've ever watched the game on TV, they always show the point with the fountain and the rivers coming together. Do we know the names of the three rivers? The Allegheny, the Monongahela, and it forms the Ohio. And so, you know, it looks uh, like this. And so, you know, I parked near one of the buildings on the right-hand side, walked through the park and see there's a bridge there um, to the left. That is the Fort Duquesne Bridge. And you walk over the bridge and you get to the stadium super quick. I don't do that for any kind of trip advisor kind of things for you. But I, I, I do want you to notice something that, you know, in Point State Park, there's this white outline. Do you see it there kind of in the grass? Uh, that is the original footprint of Fort Duquesne, which was built by the French. Um, we're talking in the early to, to mid-1700s. It was on, it was wilderness frontier uh, that the, uh, the French had an outpost and they were guarding themselves from the surrounding Native Americans. A few years later, then the British came in and they conquered the French here. And there's a building right beyond the trees there. You can just see the roof line. That's the outline of Fort Pitt. Uh, so they kind of made a bigger fort in the area. But I was thinking about this whole idea of, of fortresses and uh, castles and, and these kind of things when I was thinking about the text this week. Because when you build a fortress, uh, you want to keep safe everyone that is within its walls. And so the best way to do it is to have a four-sided fortress. And you see that there in the picture of Fort Duquesne. And so to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy, you want to keep everyone in the center of the fortress. Now, in the same way, marriage is meant to be a fortress to keep everyone safe within its walls. Those who reside within its walls are kept safe. But for that to happen, it takes an enormous amount of commitment. And I, I heard from some of you last week as we spent some time looking at First Peter and, you know, if you were a wife, you were thinking, oh, that was a lot to handle. And you're like, I can't wait to come back to church next week and see what he has to do. You know, it's that kind of thing. But it takes an enormous amount of commitment. We can't casually go in the marriage and feel our way out and figure it out and think, well, we'll just kind of work through it. God has given very clear instructions to us as husbands and wives and how we should care for each other. And thankfully, he has. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery that we go into this sacred covenant and think, what should I do along the way? Should I just figure it out? No, God sets apart clear instructions for us. It sounds like, uh, based on a letter that I read uh, this week that one young man who just entered into the marriage covenant relationship did not know that God gave clear word. This is what he writes. 
He's just married for a year, and he writes with some trouble. But he writes in the vernacular of someone who is in the computer world. And this is a, I, I had an affinity for this. Some of you know I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to technology. And, and so this is what he says. Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from girlfriend 5.0 to wife 1.0. I soon noticed that the new program began unexpected child processing that took up lots of space and valuable resources. In addition, Wife 1.0 installed itself into all other programs and now monitors all other system activity. Applications such as Poker Night 10.3 or Football 5.0 or Hunting and Fishing 7.5 and Racing 3.6. I can't seem to keep Wife 1.0 in the background while attempting to run my favorite applications. I think I'm thinking about going back to Girlfriend 5.0. But the uninstalled doesn't work on Wife 1.0. Please help. Signed, Troubled User. And the letter came back. Dear Troubled User, this is a very common problem. Many people upgrade from Girlfriend 5.0 to Wife 1.0 thinking that it's just a utilities and entertainment program. Oh no. Wife 1.0 is an operating system. And it is designed by its creator to run everything. It's impossible to uninstall or purge the program files from the system once installed. Wife 1.0 is designed not to allow this. I suggest installing the background application called YesDeer to alleviate the software augmentation. The best course of action is to enter the command C colon backslash apologize. Because ultimately you will have to give the apologize command before the system will return to normal anyway. This young man found himself confused about marriage and was in great danger. And unfortunately, an endless amount of apologies will not fix the trouble that he was facing. See, at the root of our passage is the understanding that the husband is to love his wife faithfully. But what's interesting is that word love is not found in the text. You won't see Peter say to the husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, love your wives. But it's implied in the text by the commands that are given. And I would say, though, that at the root of what Peter is exhorting these husbands to do is to show true love. But we need to understand something. And I think this is very appropriate concerning what's happening on Wednesday this week, right? Husbands, what is on Wednesday this coming week? Say it out loud. Help your brothers out. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so don't forget, right? Don't forget that it's Valentine's Day. But here's the thing. Love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We don't, we don't base love on a feeling. But that's the lie that we buy into, that if we feel love, then we will love more. Here's the thing, though. If we base love on a feeling... It's going to be everywhere, up and down, and often we'll go through seasons where you feel like, I don't feel like I love this person. Love, biblical love, the kind of love that we are to model as we follow Christ, is a volitional act of the will. It is something that we choose to do. But we often think 
that love is just, oh, I feel like loving today because they did this for me. That's not true love. Because we are all sinners, we need help from God through His Word to understand how to protect and care for the most important relationship that we will have this side of heaven. This is, if you are married, this is the most important relationship that you have this side of heaven outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we want to look into the text much like a fort, and we're going to see four areas of care that the husband can show his wife as a means of protection and selfless love. Hear the word of God. Now, I want to read verses 1 through 6 as well, because this is all one section in Peter's letter. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden, hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the the sight of God. For in the same way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, as we discussed last week, it wasn't that the wives are more clueless than the husbands. And that's why Peter gives six verses to them and only one verse to us because we get it better. No, that's not true at all. Uh, it's that they needed more help based on the relationship that they were in within the culture that they found themselves in. And we talked about the Roman culture, that when a woman married a man, it was assumed that she was going to take on the religion of her husband. Now, Peter writes this letter to strangers and aliens in 1 Peter 1, right? These are people that found life in Jesus and came to the understanding that they're not home yet, that they don't belong, that this world is not their home. And so what he is doing and taking us through what it means to hold fast to our faith as we keep our eyes on Jesus is that we are to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who submitted to, to the human authorities that were on the earth. And he was able to submit himself to the point of death. How? He entrusted himself to the will of the Father. And so, following the example of Jesus, Peter says, submit yourself to the governing authorities, submit yourself to your employers, and now submit yourself to your husbands. These women who came to faith as a result of finding Jesus and the life that he gives, were in a relationship where their husband was not a believer. So that broke the standard of following the, the religion of your husband. They needed extra counsel. They needed extra help. And what is Peter's help? Don't argue with them. Don't you know, like a dripping faucet, just say, you need to believe, you need to believe, you need to believe. No, what does he say? By your quiet behavior, win them over. So that's why he offers so much counsel to the wives. 
that are in these kinds of relationships. But now in verse 7, he's shifting the focus to the attention of the husbands. Now, how many of you wives got up this morning and say, it's his day today? Like you got up at 7 a.m. and you're like, let's go to church. Let's go to church. Let's get our seat. And so last week, your husbands were probably wrongly nudging you and reminding you and all those things. In fact, guys, if, if you told your wife any time this week, hey, you know, pastor said you need to do this, that or the other thing. Like I said last week, we need to have a talk because you're in trouble. But we want to look at the text because now Peter is exhorting the husbands to keep their responsibilities of their roles. And he mentions four areas that husbands are to provide for their wives as a means of protection. And these are the four areas. Mutual submission, undeniable understanding, teamwork, and effective spirituality. These are the four areas that he highlights in this verse. And so let's consider the first one, mutual submission. Now, husbands, you may say, listen, Peter said, you wives... Be submissive. That's how verse one opens, right? And you think it's very clear. It's right there in the text, pastor. How am I to be mutually submissive? Because when you read verse seven, I don't hear you husbands submit to your wives. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because it's not even just a question that is implied. It's actually there. Notice what Peter says in verse 7. You husbands in the same way. That's the connection. In the same way of what? Not just what the wives were called to, but in the same way of who? The Lord Jesus Christ in the example at the end of chapter 2. In the same way as Jesus, this is how you are to live towards your spouse. That you are to submit to her. Now, what does that mean? Because you would say, well, the scripture tells me that I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader. So if we're both submitting to each other, then who's the leader if there's mutual submission? Again, there's a connection. What I want you to do, just so you can kind of see this flushed out in the rest of scripture, put your bulletin in 1 Peter 3, turn back with me a few books in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is that classic passage that's sometimes read at um, wedding ceremonies and, you know, we've done a very good job sometimes poorly memorizing texts like wives be subject to your own husbands, husbands love your wives. You know, we we sometimes add that in because we want to we want proof that we, they are to submit. But I want you to see something about Ephesians 5 that we often miss because we start this discussion about marriage in the wrong place in what Paul is saying here in, in chapter 5. We start it in verses 22 and following, but we really need to back up to verse 21. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, that's Paul's command. Submitting to one another 
to each other. We submit. There's mutual submission. And then he goes on to say, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. But it all begins in verse 21 of mutual submission. And then what Paul does here in Ephesians is he talks about mutual submission in the arena of husband and wife. And then in chapter six, verse one, children obeying your parents, that's an act of mutual submission. And then he goes a further, further down beginning in verse five about slaves and masters. And it's all rooted around this call in verse 21, be subject to one another. But notice something about verse 22 in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? You, you see that here on the, t- on the screen. But if you have your Bible open, um, what you will see in verse 22 is wives, be subject. And that phrase, be subject, is in italics, right? It's, a, it's in italics in my Bible, at least. And, and what that is, is it's a clue that the translators of translating from the original Greek added that in because it's implied in the text. It's not specifically in the text. So it would better read wives in the same way to your husbands as to the Lord. In the same way of what? Mutual submission. So verse 22 should read wives to your own husbands. So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5 and what Peter is writing in verse 7 of chapter 3 is that submission in marriage is mutual. The ultimate act of submission is the willingness to die for another person. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the ultimate act of submission, that a husband would be willing to die for his wife, to give up his life for her. And that's what Jesus was willing to do for us. And that is what Paul said husbands are to be willing to do for their wives. Now, husbands, this doesn't mean that you have to stop being the leader in your home. Going back to 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That there is a headship for a reason. And there is safety in that headship. And ultimately, when we align ourselves to God's role and responsibilities in the marriage relationship, everyone is safe. Everyone is protected. Everyone is in the place where where God wants them to be. And when you follow the will of God, there is peace in the will of God. A lady in a former church that we served in said often, and I can still picture her saying this, my husband may be the head of the home, but I am the neck. (laughs) Unfortunately, that is not what Peter is saying in the text. Mutual submission means that husbands and wives, what? Yield to each other. They yield to each other. They yield to each other in the marriage relationship so that each show mutual love and respect. But practically, the final decision is to rest on the husband. 
Someone has to make the final decision. But when it's done so in a way where the wife knows that the husband loves her and is seeking to honor her and taking all of her thoughts and affections and, 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 and feelings about whatever said decision is, there's willingness. Right? We all know what it's like when you give your opinion to someone, they make a decision and act like they did not even give any thought or consideration to what your thoughts were about that issue. And you think, why do I even try then? Why do I even bother? Why did I even say anything? But if there's a willingness to listen and lean in and understand, yes, there is a final decision that falls on the husband, but it's shown out of mutuality and love. Man, I would say from my experience and from the wisdom from the word of God, if you show that you are leading from a position of seeking the will of God, which includes showing your wife that you are taking her thoughts and opinions seriously and into consideration, that even if you disagree on what to do, she will trust you. I, I guarantee it. That if you lean in and show that I'm actually listening to not just the words coming out of your mouth, I'm listening to your heart, I'm listening to your mind. I'm considering all of that. She'll be like, okay, yeah, it wasn't the decision I would make, but I trust that you're making the best decision as God has given you the ability to care for our family. Mutual submission. Husbands, you, hus you husbands in the same way. That's the call. That's the first side of the fortress. The second principle, the second wall of the fortress is undeniable understanding. Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. The word understanding comes from a Greek word, gnosko. And it was used in the first century world. And it means to know, but not just to know facts. It actually meant to know something intimately. Used in the context of a husband and wife, to know your wife means that you know her intimately. And I don't mean physically. I mean know her. Know everything about her. Know that you are always growing in your understanding of who she is. Husbands, you should never stop learning who your wife is. I would say that at the start of our marriage... We may think we know who the spouse is, right? You enter into marriage and you think, I think I know who they are. I mean, this is why I want to marry them. And you go to the, the altar and you, you make vows to each other. And you've probably gone through a process where you've asked a lot of questions about each other. You spend time with each other. You're learning how they react to situations, the things that they like, the things that they dislike. And then something strange happens when you get married. You go through this season where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know this person as well as I thought I did. I've been married for 22 years. Well, almost 22 years. And I think we're going to make it even after this sermon. So, um, here, Here's what I've come to understand. I am supremely grateful for God's grace to be able to know more about the heart of my wife today than I did 20, almost 22 years ago. 
And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I took my lumps. First few years of marriage were a challenge. Right? If you've been married for any length of time over five or ten years, right? You understand those first few years. Like the honeymoon doesn't last forever. It's hard. And why is it hard? Because there's two sinners living together. And you're working through what it means to care for someone and be with someone and love someone the way that God wants you to do that. And you have to get out of the way of yourself because you're a selfish person apart from Jesus Christ. But here's the key thing that I learned. When Angela knew that I wasn't trying to fix her, but that I was leaning in and listening to her heart, that made all the difference. If you're like me and you like to fix things that are broken, and I think this is generally a man thing because, you know, we're the provider and protectors and, and, and we, you know, when something's broken, it needs fixed. And so we go through the process of trying to fix it. When you notice your wife is going through a season of time, here's a pro tip. Don't try to fix her in that conversation. It, it, that's not what she needs at that moment. She doesn't. What does she need? She needs to be heard. She needs to be heard what's going on in her heart, listening in and, and leaning in. And you might say, yeah, but she's always like that about this thing. Okay, just lean in and listen. Give her the space and understanding that she knows that you care for her more than you care about getting out of this conversation or argument or just you want to make everything better. Lean in with understanding. It doesn't mean that I don't give counsel and direction, but it does mean that I seek to listen to her first and truly hear what she is saying. I've got to be very careful how I say this. Because you know that sometimes what your wife is saying isn't really what she means. And she's not trying to trick you. It's just that sometimes words don't do a great job of depicting what's going on in the heart. And so you've got to kind of listen in and lean in and, and, and listen with understanding. And that also means that we understand that our, that our wives are different than us. They're different than us. That's a part of God's design. Eve was a helper for Adam. That word means suitable counterpart in the Hebrew. When Adam and Eve, well, when Eve was brought to Adam and she was to be a suitable counterpart. But we are different. And it's just not anatomically. We are different in many obvious ways. What we think about. Huge difference between men and women and what we think about, right? The best way that I ever heard it described is men's brains are like waffles. Women's brains are like spaghetti. Men's brains are in compartments and boxes. Everything fits into a nice and neat box like a waffle. And it's all in order. It's all in place. Women's brains are like spaghetti. Everything touches everything. 
That's why when you have a conversation like, hey, what are we doing on vac- for vacation this year? And it's six months down the road. Before you know it, you're talking about retirement and, and grandkids and all this. And you're like, how did we get here? I thought we were just talking about what we're doing for vacation. We are different. And we have to embrace those differences and understand that the people that we are with are, are going to like, we're going to look at our wives sometimes and think, I might not want to have that conversation because I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> and guess what? Your wife is probably thinking, I'm so frustrated because he never wants to talk about anything. <laughs> or everything is just a short, quick, well, yeah, let's do this and move on. When you lean in with understanding, you give yourself the perspective of deference for the other. And you, and you go into the conversation to know, I'm, I'm heading to a plate of noodles if I'm a guy. And just be ready for it. Now, I, I've gotten some looks from wives out there. Listen, it's true. And there's, it's not a knock. We need someone that can pull all those connections together. So understand... We are different. We are also different in how we communicate. That's a big difference. Sociologists have come up with this. I don't know how they figure these things out, but they do. And it's been vetted in different resources that I've read that on an average day, a woman speaks 25,000 words. And on an average day, a man speaks between 10 and 12,000 words. That means that by the time the husband comes home from work, he's likely used most of his words. (laughs) Wives, when your husband walks through the door and you want to have like all of the conversations about all the things that are happening in the day and they look at you and they're like, I don't want to go there. It's not personal. They've just used up most of their words. If you have, if you can start your conversations in the morning. They haven't used all their words yet. Husbands, be undeniable in the way that you seek to understand your wife. Be a student of her. I am enrolled in the school of Angela-ology. And when I made that commitment almost 22 years ago, I committed myself to God to be a student of her to learn more about her with every year. We've gone through some challenging times this last year. And God has been so gracious to give us understanding for each other. Don't ever stop learning about who your wife is and what makes her heart tick. As I said last week, call out her godliness, her inner beauty, And lovingly lead her to the presence of God. The third principle from the text is teamwork. This is the third wall of the fortress. Live with your wives as someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's what Peter says. Live with her as a person of strength. She is the weaker vessel. Now first, let's talk about what that doesn't mean. 
it doesn't mean that women are weaker intellectually, emotionally, socially, or spiritually. That's not what Peter is saying. They're not a second-class person. They're not. In fact, I know many wives that are stronger in some of those areas that I mentioned than their husbands. As a pastor, I've observed that women are often more ready to help when it comes to spiritual things. Being the weaker vessel simply means on a physical level. That's what it means. Now, overall, there are certain wives I wouldn't want to arm wrestle. (laughs) Right? But overall, it's talking about the vessel physically. That for the most part, the husband is the stronger vessel. Uh, This happens in our home when it's time to decorate for the holidays. We have a one-story house with a finished basement, and we have a utility room in that basement. And we have shelves on the other side with these huge totes that are full of our decorations. Angela will go downstairs to our utility room where we have these huge totes, and what do I hear almost every time? Honey! And i got to carry them upstairs so that she can decorate and she calls in this manly specimen to carry, carry everything upstairs. <laughs> hey, you don't get this body overnight. You know, so you work hard at it. We're, oh boy, if there's anyone live streaming, whatever. We also cooperate. Teamwork. In that we show honor to each other as a fellow heir of the grace of life. To honor means to understand the value and price of something. Husbands, understand who your wives are as a child of God. Being God's daughter, treat them so. She has great value to God and to you. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. And she has great value to you. Know that she is God's gift to you. Treat her with respect and courtesy and kindness. Theologian Matthew Henry said this, the woman, was made, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to roll over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Husbands, remember this. Your wife doesn't want more things. Pro tip, Valentine's Day. She doesn't want more things. She wants more of you. And we need to hear that. That our wives don't want more things. They want us. So the final principle, the final wall of this fortress is effective spirituality. Look at the final phrase of 1 Peter 3, 7. So that your prayers will not be hindered. What a strange phrase. This word hindered means thwarted or cut off. It refers to an obstacle being thrown into one's path. So I want you to follow this thought. Husbands, an inability to protect your wives and love her the way that the scriptures call you to will affect your spiritual life. It will. The implication is that your prayer life will suffer if you do not care for your wife. That's the implication. Husbands, if you're if you're not doing what God wants you to do and you're a lazy husband, 
lazy in leadership, lazy spiritually, lazy in the ways that God wants you to be strong in, your prayer life will be hindered. Listen, Peter is saying that if you do not care for your wife, your prayers will not be heard by God. Disobedience to the will of God regarding how a man treats his wife hinders the husband's fellowship with God. It's a strange dynamic, but when you see it in the text, it's obvious. How could we have a productive and fruitful spiritual life if we're not treating the person that God has brought into our lives to bring completion and oneness like the way that they should be treated? So the way back to having unhindered prayers, like if you want a powerful, potent prayer life and you're married, the way back is forgiveness. To humbly ask God for the grace to love your spouse well and to humbly ask your wife for the forgiveness for the way that you have treated her. But I want you to see something else in the phrase so that your prayers will not be hindered. The your in the original language is not singular, it's plural. What does that mean when Peter says, What Peter is saying is that the lack of honoring your wife, which leads to spiritual ineffectiveness, also impacts her spiritually. You see that? It's not just hindering you, your. It's hindering the both of you, your. Husbands, understand that any selfishness that gets in the way of you sacrificially loving your wife hinders her as well. Listen, the enemy wants to attack your marriage, and he will do it. He will attack your spirituality. A prime way he will do that is by tripping you up on having a selfish attitude. When marriage is about what I want, you're doomed for failure. When marriage is about serving the other based on what they want and being selfless, that's a win. So there it is, the four walls of protection for our wives, mutual submission, undeniable understanding, teamwork, and effective spirituality. Listen, if you had a picture of what marriage was like a few weeks ago before you ever heard these passages, and and that's been jostled, can I just ask you to tear up that picture? That's not what God would want. And along the way, that we would be humble And that we would humble ourselves to the word of God. And that God's grace would help us grow in these areas that he wants us to be. James 4, 6 gives us great encouragement to this change. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a great promise. May we lean into that as we walk this amazing journey of marriage and what it means to be a a husband or a wife that God wants us to be. Let's pray.